You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. We've been working through the Psalms, and my intention is to retire when we reach 150, but we're only at 58, so page 577. For the director of music... To the tune of Do Not Destroy of David Amictam. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge uprightly among men? No, in your heart you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward and speak lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake. Like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out, O Lord, the fangs of the lions. Let them vanish like water that flows the way. When they draw the bow, let their arrows be blunted. Like a slug melting away as it moves along, like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then men will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Well, when we looked at Psalm 132 last week, Sinclair pointed out that it was not everyone's favorite psalm because it was relatively unknown. I'm 100% certain that nobody here has this down as your favorite psalm. And when I started looking at this on Monday, I knew, I honestly, I woke up on Monday morning in a cold sweat, knowing that, knowing that I was going to be doing this. And I came down here and my hand was on the phone to phone Sinclair and say, swap. Uh, I'll, do, I'll do 133 and you can do 58. And then I, I said, no, you can't do that. You know, don't chicken, go for it. And I, uh, it took a long time, I'll be honest, it took a long time to work through this and to be faithful to the text, not to try and change it or excuse it or anything like that. And actually, by the time I got to Wednesday, I was almost looking forward to this evening. I just, I, I think this is a fantastic psalm. Now, why? It's one of the imprecatory psalms and, uh, The idea of imprecation is to evoke evil or call down curses upon a person. And this one seems really bad. There's a verse there that immediately sticks out. Go bathe your feet in the blood. It just sounds so horrible and medieval. You cringe in reading it. In the 1980 Anglican service book, uh, it was said that you were excused, that Anglicans were excused from using this psalm. Now, to be honest... I uh, understood that and still understand it. But I, having studied it and looked at it, I don't regard it as dispensable. I would regard it as indispensable. And here's why. I hope you'll see as we go through it. I would call it a psalm for Hitler. A psalm for rulers who are evil and who are bringing so much trouble in this world. You'll notice at the beginning in verse 1 it says, it's to the tune of do not destroy that's, that was a really popular tune. It's mentioned, I think, three times in the Psalms. It's a bit like to the tune Amazing Grace. 
Most people would know what that is. It's also a reference to Isaiah 65, verse 8. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and men say, don't destroy it, do not destroy it. There is yet some good in it. So will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. So I want to look through this. And I hope that you'll see as we go through it, as we examine what the text says, this is God speaking, that um, you'll see how it works in our culture and in our society. The first is this. Verses 1 and 2. They speak about injustice. The rulers, do you rulers indeed speak justly? Now it's possible that rulers here could mean spiritual rulers, but... Given the context, given what's said, it's, uh, that's unlikely. It really refers to political rulers, rulers in the military, rulers in the law, those who govern society. And I think David here has in mind particularly the counselors of Saul, that he had rulers around him who were telling him, David is a threat, you've got to get David, you've got to destroy David. So David writes a psalm called, Do Not Destroy, and he's basically, it's a psalm which is saying to Saul, your rulers are wicked liars, and you don't want to be like them as the king's anointed. I was delighted to discover, I don't know why, on, on, on Monday morning I thought, you know, I wonder if, if he did. I wonder if McShane preached on this, and I've got a whole load of McShane stuff, and I went through it, and He did. He preached, a psalm on, he preached a sermon on Psalm 58 in this building. And he didn't preach on the whole psalm, but it was a very, very interesting, typical McShane sermon. I'll give you a couple of quotes from it uh, later on. But one thought he had, which I thought was wonderful, he said, in, in this psalm, he said he understood the rulers to refer also to the judges of Jesus, that the, whether they were religious or political rulers, that they lied about him and they killed him. They shed his blood. They sat in judgment upon Jesus. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, Ecclesiastes 3.16, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness is there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. There is injustice in the world. In your heart you devise injustice. Your hands meet out violence on the earth. Now unless you are deaf, dumb and blind, you cannot deny that that is going on in the world today. I think it's absolutely horrendous, and I hope none of you do it, for people to watch um, YouTube videos of people being beheaded. I don't need to see a video to know how horrible it is. But it is absolutely incredible that that is occurring. It's incredible the violence and the bloodshed that is occurring now, tonight, in Iraq. It's incredible what's going on in Ukraine. 2,000 people at least killed. The Russians invading. There's one uh, village just on the border that uh, today... I heard that every single town, every single house in it, has been flattened by Russian tanks. It's incredible what's going on in Libya. We bombed it. We thought, get rid of Gaddafi, everything will turn out all right. 
And now the Islamic militants have taken over Libyan International Airport. Westerners have fled and they're going to use their considerable funding that they can get from that country now to support and reinforce groups like Boko Haram in Nigeria. See, there are Christians, when we read this, we look at this and we go, yeah, there was bloodshed then and it was terrible and so on. But there are Christians tonight who will read this and they will read it in the context of their families being killed, of their lives being in danger. There is violence and injustice in the world amongst the rulers. And you see, when it happens, I mean, did you miss the report on Rotherham? One town... 1,400 children, known, who knows how many unknown, 1,400 children in that one town, sexually abused, and the rulers knew. That's the appalling thing. That, that, that is just absolutely incredible. So the psalm comes to us, and the psalmist is saying, do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge uprightly among men? And he looks around his world, and he says, no. No. And it's very interesting. You'll see what he says there. This idea of speaking justly. What he's concerned about is not just that the rulers who are doing things that are wrong, but the rulers who are in power shutting up about the things that are wrong. So go to Rotherham. There are an awful lot of people who didn't engage in the sexual abuse, but they knew stuff was going on, but they kept quiet because they didn't want to be considered racist, because they didn't want to upset, because they didn't want... It's like in... uh, the Catholic Church. Priests abusing children was bad enough. Bishops covering that up in order to protect the church was just as bad, if not worse. And this psalm comes to such and says, do you rulers, do you keep quiet when there is injustice? And we know that that does happen. So the psalmist is first of all concerned about injustice. Secondly, he goes to the roots of it when he talks about poison, verses 3 to 5. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. Now here's interesting. He goes on to discuss the character of the wicked, and he doesn't say it's society that's to blame. He says it's us. We are all sinners, that's true. But Calvin has a very interesting understanding of it, which again I'll share with you in a moment, where he says that manifests itself in different ways. But the bottom line is that human beings are within ourselves, in our nature, fundamentally corrupt. There's an old argument in theology between what we could call Augustinianism and Pelagianism. And you actually do really need to know about this. As you mature and grow as a Christian, you do need to know about this. Because Pelagianism has always come into the church and and done so much harm. And Augustinianism basically teaches what the Bible teaches, what this teaches. That even from birth, we go astray. Pelagianism says you're basically good. And what will happen is you, you choose the path, you go and you can, you can almost redeem yourself. But Augustinianism, you could call it Calvinism, I just call it biblical Christianity, just simply says you are spiritually dead. Um, if you don't believe me, believe Bob Dylan. Let's, not, let's call it Dylanism. 
That's another one. Dylan had a fantastic song called Saved. And uh, the line, I mean, the first time I heard it, I thought, what? That's Bob Dylan? This is what he said. I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I have been touched, by his word I have been healed, by his hand I've been delivered, by his spirit I've been sealed. I've been saved, saved by the blood of the lamb. He then went on to talk about how I was full of emptiness and wrath and the fire that burns in it. And that's what the psalmist here is saying. He's saying even from birth, the wicked go astray. He says they are liars. They, they, these rulers, they, and, he, and the, above all, he uses this image of the cobra. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears. They have a poison within. Now it's very interesting, the cobra that stopped its ears, he's talking about a deaf snake. And there's a point about that because snakes, when you do, um, not many of you have probably engaged in snake charming, but the whole point about snake charming is not that the, you, know, you, you play the flute or whatever. Snake's deaf. It doesn't hear. But what it sees is you swaying. And that's apparently what charms them. Now, I've not tried it and I'm not going to. But, but apparently that is the case. And here he's using this image of a deaf snake that has this poison within and it's an image that Jesus used when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Matthew 3, 7, coming to where he was baptizing. He said to them, now I love this. This is Jesus, right? People say, we need to have the love of Jesus. You need to show the love. I totally agree. And obviously Jesus does too. What does the love of Jesus do to the Pharisees and Sadducees who come to observe? That's all. They come to observe and baptizing. This is what happens. He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Matthew 23, 33, he said, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? It seems a little bit over the top. Romans 1, 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and deprav depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Titus 3.3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I wish that that Romans 1 passage would be sent to every politician in the land and every leader and every authority with a plea to them to wake up from this delusion that they have that somehow they are the good and that people are basically good and all we have to do is follow this particular way or that particular way. You know, we, Scotland has a big, big, big uh, decision in terms of the referendum in September. But it's a tiny decision. It's a tiny decision compared with the decision that is made every day, every week, every month, every year by those in authority to ignore the word of God. Because every time they do it, they're taking us as humanity 
further down this spiral of decay and decline. And you see, that's why Jesus cared. He, he wept over the widow and her son dying. He was filled with compassion for the poor. He wept over Jerusalem. And he looked at the rulers, both religious and political and civil. And he was so angry. You brood of vipers. This is what you are doing. This psalm talks about total depravity. Look what he says. In your heart you devise injustice. Your hands meet out violence on the earth. They're ignorant of God in head and in heart. Now here's an important thing for us to grasp. And this is true of me and it's true of you. And it's very hard to get this across and for us to accept it. And even as Christians, sometimes I think we shut our ears to what the Bible says. Because we so desperately want to believe that fundamentally we are good. And yet our whole history is covered with sin. It's not that you have just blotted your copybook occasionally. Do you know, there's, there's a sense in which if somebody was here and all their life they'd been violent, they'd been obnoxious, and you knew that that was the case, you would listen to this and you would go, yeah, absolutely. But I think for most of us, we, we find ourselves almost instinctively thinking, yeah, I've done some things that are a bit off, but not really that bad. Well, we are. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. McShane, from his sermon on this, said this, your wickedness won't break out in full. He said, that wickedness is there, but it won't break out in full until you are in hell and it will then break out unrestrained. But still, he said, let me tell you what it is. You have a heart that would kill God if you could. If the bosom of God were now within your reach and one blow could rid the universe of God, you have a heart fit to do the deed. If you could get rid of God, if you could be in charge and control of your own life, if you could have the power, if you could be the master of the universe, there's something within you which would make you do it. You would do it. Nietzsche said, God is dead, we have killed him, and we have filled Europe with the stench of his corpse. Please understand this. If George Bush and Tony Blair and all the politicians understood the biblical teaching of total depravity, it would change so many of their policies. It would change so much of their understanding. Let me say something a little bit about total depravity. Total depravity doesn't mean we're as bad as we possibly could be. None of us actually are. Nor does it mean that everyone is equally bad. It does mean that sin infects every part of our lives. And I actually really found it helpful, Calvin's teaching on this, where he says on this passage, we're all born with sin, we're all stained with sin, we all need salvation. However, he says, in society, there are some who have decency on the outside. They're good, decent people in lots of ways. There are others who show wickedness, but moderately. You know, they're, they're, they're not going around killing people or whatever, but it's just a, 
Um, we were at a, a party last night at a neighbor's, and I found it very, very, very sad. If you were here this morning and you heard what Sinclair had to say about the contrast between the fellowship, I found it sad because there were human beings who are made in the image of God, and I just thought, no, this is so empty, it's so meaningless. But then there's another level. There are some who are so depraved they cannot belong to society. They have to be in prison. They have to be locked away because of the harm and the damage that they do. Thomas Adams, a Puritan, put it another way. He said that there are stages of sin in our lives. First, it's secret like an ulcer within. That you're sitting there in church and you're as sweet as pie and someone comes up to you and you smile and you're just all loving to them and everything like that. But in your heart, you really want something bad to happen to them. You really, you know, you just, you just, they rub you up the wrong way and they irritate you and they, they've got into your system somehow. And actually you hate them. You'd never show it. You'd never stand up and say, I hate you. But you do. It's like a cancer within Then, Adam says, it bursts forth as open sin, like a boil on the skin. And then, he says, it becomes frequent and corrupting, like a disease, like leprosy over the whole body. And so what this passage tells us is, what the psalm is saying to us is, yes, these rulers who are wicked and lying and violent, this is where it comes from. He's saying particularly, he sees it in them, he's not denying that it is in, in, in all people in some way or other, but it's expressed in a particular way. So verse 6, he says, help. It's a strange way to say help. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Tear out, O Lord, the fangs of the lions. But it's a brilliant way of saying help because the rulers are silent or they're lying or they're instigating the violence. So what he's asking, he's saying Shut them up completely. Their teeth are not to be broken so that they can't eat, but so that they can't bite. Now, I think there's a holy realism here. Sometimes I think people have this image of the church, that you're Christians and we're all just so lovely and so sweet. Uh, Last night I was speaking to one of the guys who was a wee bit under the weather in terms of drink, and he said, what do you do? And I said, you don't want to know. He said, I do. I said, I'm a minister. That's very nice. Thank you. He said, that's what I thought. <laughs> and I said, oh, no. I said, what do you mean that's nice? It's very nice. Well, you sort of do good things, don't you? You're Christians. You sit round a fire, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. That's what you do. We live in the real world, but you want to do the Christian thing, that's fine. You're sweet, lovely people. You're not like these bad Muslims who go around slaughtering people. That's, how, that's the images and the impressions that people have. But they do, if, if they might. There are some people who are very anti-Christian, but there's an awful lot of people, an awful lot of your friends who say, oh, that's sweet, you're a Christian, that's lovely. It's like belonging to the knitting club, or I'm glad you've got something. Something that makes you feel good and happy and peaceful, and you must have such a lovely time when you go to church. Well, tomorrow when they ask you, what were you doing in church? Saying, well, I was learning about bathing my feet in the blood of the wicked. And see how far you go. Then they're going to have you listed with the Islamic extremists and so on. And going to be phoning up the government. But here, this is a holy realism. It's not, oh Lord, please make everything nice. It's, oh Lord, deal with evil. 
These people are like luring lions. We want toothless lions. And surely, if you've given money tonight to help Christians in Iraq, surely also you would pray, Lord, stop. Stop the hands of wicked men. Stop the mouths of lions. There's a wonderful scene in Schindler's List where a Jewish rabbi is about to be shot by the commandant of the camp. And he pulls out a pistol. And, uh, or one of the soldiers pulls out a pistol and f- points it and fires and clicks. And it doesn't go off. And he clicks and it doesn't go off. And he clicks and it doesn't go off. And the commandant gets really angry and he takes the pistol and he does it and he does it and he checks it and he does it again. And then he throws it on the ground, hits the guy and walks off. Could be coincidence. Maybe the man was praying. Who knows? But what we should be praying, surely you should be praying this. You should be praying, Lord, please stop. Stop them. Break their power. Don't let them do this. And that's what this psalm is saying. It's about a just cause. It's not about personal advancement. It's about, oh Lord, stop wicked people. Please stop them. Verses 7 to 9. Vanish. Let them vanish like water that flows away. And this is about the doom of the wicked. They appear to be strong. They appear to be powerful. Remember this, please. When you look at our own politicians, our own rulers, when you look at the, what's going on in the world, when you look at a man like Putin, so powerful, and that, that, those Ukrainian villagers, what, what can they do? When you look at Boko Haram invading a village and stealing, killing 200 young girls, when you look at ISIS with all their power, when you look at all of that, and the psalmist, David, is looking and he's looking and he's seeing... And he's seeing Saul overwhelming odds against him, against David. And what does he also see? He says they're going to vanish. Let them vanish. And he gives five examples. Water running off the ground. They're going to be like that. They're going to be like water off the ground. They're going to be like an arrow that falls short of the mark. They pulled their bow against you. Bang, off goes the arrow. And it just lands just there. It's a bit like a dog that's... uh, Sometimes when I'm cycling around, these dogs come springing out from houses. And you cycle a wee bit faster until you realize they're on a chain. And then you stop and you wave at them and you go, ha, nice one. Bark all you want, Fido, I don't care. Because they're chained. And it's the same thing here. Make them be like an arrow that falls short of the mark. A slug that melts away, leaving only a shell. Because what the slug is doing, as it's going, its slime is part of its body and it's causing itself to disappear. And these people are destroying and destroying and destroying. But the psalmist is saying, let them destroy themselves. A horrible image. A pregnancy that results not in life, but death. And then the last one, a fuel that burns up before it can even give heat. Now in all that, he's saying they're going to be swept away. I want to say just a little bit about the abortion one which is what it's speaking about. You'll often hear people who are pro-abortion say something like, it's not a human being, it's just a, it's just a potential human being. Scientifically, that's rubbish. Biblically, it's also nonsense. The potential is there, but the humanity is already there. However, there is one aspect of that statement that is surely correct. The tragedy of stillbirth. Please do not take for granted 
every child born in this congregation who is born alive and healthy. Many children have been born dead. If you lived in this society 150 years ago in Dundee, the average age for a male to live was 49 years. But there were men who were living to 80. Why? Because 50% of the children buried in that graveyard are buried before they reach the age of five. Because they were either stillborn or because they were born very weak and succumbed to disease. Human life is so, so precious. And it's a tragedy when there is a stillbirth, when there is a caught death, when there is a life that is not lived. That's what he compares the wicked to. We were at a wedding on Friday and it was just lovely. It was a wonderful occasion and the lady who was being married, I remember when she was born. She was born daughter to my best friend. And it was just, I couldn't believe. She looked so young getting married. What are you doing getting married? And uh, it was just, it was fantastic. But then you also look and you say, but what if that life had been taken away so young? What a tragedy it actually is. And this is what the psalmist is doing here. He's saying, when people turn away from God and they turn to wickedness, it's as though your potential as a human being is stillborn. That you are destroying what is of the essence of humanity. That is the tragedy. And so he goes on to finish my talking about justice. And that's where this um, bathe your feet in the blood of the wicked, verse 10. Now it's a metaphor. Please, you've got to understand that. When I say Dundee crushed Celtic today, well, they should have. You, you don't think, what? That must have been a really violent, violent game. No, it's a metaphor. And it's full of that. It's a powerful metaphor and it's a horrible metaphor. Of course it is. But it's a metaphor that's used in the Bible. This is not teaching that, that Christians are going to be people who walk around and bathe their feet in the blood of the wicked. And if you think that, you really do not know how to read the Bible. Psalm 68. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea that you may plunge your feet in the blood of your foes while the tongues of your dogs have their share. Isaiah 63, who is this coming from Edom, from Bozrah, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Our God is mighty to save. We sing that. We don't sing this. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath, I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. Revelation 19:11 I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True with justice he judges and makes war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of god 
The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now how are we to understand all that? It is a clear biblical picture. Here's how we turn to stand it. We are not spectators at a Colosseum watching slaughter. That's not what this is saying. We're not like those people who think that computer games is a sport and who go to stadiums to watch it. We are not the crowd. Here's the point. We are in the arena and we are going to be slaughtered unless God comes and brings justice. See, if you're an Iraqi Christian just now and you're saying, help Let the Americans help us. Let the Kurds help us. Let the British help us. You know that ultimately you can't rely on that. You cry out to God to bring justice. And when God brings justice, you celebrate. When you were in the Romanian Baptist Church, when that Romanian priest stood up and took on Ceausescu and was going to be executed... And the churches were all going to be knocked down. And tens of thousands were going to be killed. And you cried out to God. And Ceausescu fell and was killed. You rejoiced. Of course you rejoiced. Not for your personal vengeance. But because evil was halted for the moment. Calvin puts it this way, it might appear at first sight that the feeling here attributed to the righteous is far from being consistent with the mercy which ought to characterize them. Of course, we are not to be bloodthirsty people. We are not to. We, we should hate violence and abhor violence. Absolutely. But we must remember, he says, as I've often observed elsewhere, that the affection David means to impute to them is one of a pure and well-regulated kind. And in this case, there is nothing absurd in supposing that believers under the influence and guidance of the Holy Ghost should rejoice in witnessing the execution of divine judgments. We're crying out to God, Lord, bring justice. And, And I want to ask you if you've got an alternative. Because I look at the world and it just destroys me. Because I don't see justice coming from any of our rulers But I believe it will come from God. And I believe that Obama and uh, Cameron and Salmond and Putin and the leaders of ISIS and everyone are subject to the judgment of God. And there will come a point where we will be able to see and we will be able to say, Oh Lord, surely your judgments are righteous and your ways are just. And people will see that. The men will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there's a God who judges the earth. In verse 1, the word for rulers is Elam. In verse 11, the word for God is Elohim. And Elohim was a plural term for God that the heathen used. And this is an, an, an example of saying the heathen will see. 
In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above, says Isaiah, and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. You see, there are people who look and they say, if I don't believe in God because there's so much evil and injustice in the world, And in a way, they're right. Except this. That what this psalm is telling us, what this psalm was telling Hitler, is one day there will be justice. One day you will pay for what you have done. One day you must understand that. There is a God who judges the earth. I'm not comforted by the Disney view of the world. By the view that says, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and trees of green or whatever it is. Yeah, I see all those and I rejoice in that. But at the same time, I know that there are people being killed. I know that there are people being abused. I know that the 1,400 kids in Rotherham are the tip of an iceberg. I know that that's going on. I know that in this city... Tonight, there are horrible things happening. I know that there are broken people and bruised people and wounded people. And I know that there are rulers in power who despise God. And because they despise God, they shut their mouths and they're only concerned about their own power. And I know that the righteous suffer. And if there wasn't a God of justice, I would implode. I couldn't cope. It wouldn't be possible. But there is. Now, we're going to see, um, I want us to sing these words, and they are difficult to sing, but you, you'll, you'll see uh, as we go on. I hope you see that this is a cry not for personal vengeance, it's a cry for God to be just in the whole earth. And we're going to sing those just now, and then I want to show how Jesus deals with all of this um, before we take communions. But let's sing this first of all, Psalm 58. Uh, It's probably the one and only time we'll sing it. We'll sing it to the tune, Abide With Me. As I say, it is a difficult psalm to sing, but if you understand it as a cry for justice, then I think we can sing it honestly and rightly. So let's stand and sing. You rulers, do you know what justice is? Among mankind, do you judge uprightly? No, you devise injustice in your hearts, and on the earth you mete out cruelty. So before we take communion, let me try and fit this in the wider context um, incidentally, uh, there's a man called Baruch Meos, who's a Jewish Christian pastor. And this particular verse about bending, breaking the bow of the wicked man, he talks about how he prays that when Hamas fire their rockets, that they'll fall short. And uh, in the providence and mercy of God, that's been the case that he's seen many, many times. But anyway, this, how does this all work? Because accepted that there are people in the world who are more violently wicked and more horrible than than your neighbors or you. When we ask God to judge, when we ask God to deal, the problem is that the root of wickedness and the heart of darkness is within all of us. So how can God judge and how can God deal without destroying? How can you sing this to the tune, do not destroy, because it's like you're asking God to destroy you. If you're asking God to deal with wickedness, surely you're asking God to destroy you. And that, of course, is where Christ comes in.
because he came to take the judgment of God for all this evil. He came to take the judgment of his people. McShane, in his sermon on this, said this, From the day you were born, you've gone astray from the paths of God's commandments. Every year, month, day, hour, minute has been filled up with sin. Every day has seen you go further from holiness, further from God, nearer to hell. You are treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. Oh, what a treasure, heaping up fuel to burn you through eternity. And what does God do? He sends his son Jesus, his beloved son, his only son, to die for those who every day are abusing and destroying the image of himself in them. The snake charmer here. If only God spoke, if only there was music for my soul, if only there was help. There is. But if you are not a believer, what you are doing is you refuse to listen. You refuse to come to Christ to have life. All the arguments, you know, most of you know, I love discussing and arguing with people, but I know this. All the arguments in the world, I could rip someone to shreds with an argument. But all the arguments in the world won't persuade anyone to come to Christ. You need to hear the voice of Jesus. He, if you like, is the charmer. He is the one who takes out the poison. He's the one who extracts the poison from in our heart. If you're not a Christian, I I, I just ask you to think about how you're going to deal with the sin in your life. And I, I plead with you to listen to what Jesus says. If you are a Christian, I ask you, do you speak righteousness? Do you speak up for the poor and for the oppressed? Do you stand up for those who are unjustly treated? We too need to repent and we need to be washed in blood, but not the blood of our enemies. We need to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ to be cleansed from our sin. Dylan in that same song says this, by his truth I can be upright, by his strength I do endure, by his power I've been lifted, in his love I am secure. He bought me with a price, freed me from the pit, full of emptiness, and wrath and the fire that burns in it. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, saved by the blood of the Lamb, and I'm so glad, and I want to thank you, Lord. When we sit at the Lord's table, we're taking the bread and the wine, and we're saying, this broken bread speaks of the broken body of Christ so that I don't have to be broken. This wine which speaks of the blood of Christ which was shed so that I don't, I am not going to be punished. And... This is what the world needs. This is what's needed. And people say, oh, we need less religion. Well, maybe we do need less religion, but we need more Christ. And we need more of the gospel. And that's why pray for Adam as he goes to the Middle East and preaches the gospel at the risk of his own life. Pray for the people who go and seek to proclaim Christ to those who are facing Ebola. Pray for those who have the nerve to tomorrow in this city tell people who hate Jesus that they need Jesus and that Jesus loves them. It's so important that people hear the voice of Christ. And we are here to hear that and here to proclaim that. So it's a tough, right? This is... This is 
meaty, meaty stuff. This is a tough, tough thing to look out at the world and see the injustice and not even to see a fraction of it and yet to be overwhelmed by it so that you cannot look at the television. You cannot, you just, take it away, Lord, take it away, take it away. And we're saying, Lord, deal with it. And God says, I deal with it. I am going to deal with it. I am dealing with it. And I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to save along with you a multitude which no one can count. Trust me. I know what is happening. I know what is going on. I hate the evil much more than you do. And I will deal with it. But you are called to live as light in this dark, dark, dark world. You see, that's why I think this song, is a, this psalm is a realistic psalm and one that's very, very appropriate for our day. And before we take communion, we're going to um, sing the, the hymn, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. And as we sing it, let's sing it prayerfully because um, we're coming with an awareness of, of this darkness and this evil. And we're basically coming to the Lord and say, Lord, protect us, give us rest, speak to us, charm us. So let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening.